Hey, everybody. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. We're so glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to those that are in our faith center. And of course, a quick big shout out to all of those that are at the well, our newest venue here. And of course, I just want to say a quick hello to all of those that are watching online. But hey, if you don't know who I am, if we haven't met yet, my name is James, and I'm one of the pastors here at South Bay Community Church. And I just wanted to take a quick moment I know it's a little late, but on behalf of me and my little family, we just wanted to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I just wanted to show their picture <laughs> real quick because I just thought they were so darn cute. But if you don't know, these are my twins. These are Harper and Hudson, and they just turned four months last week. And that means they just passed the 100th day mark of being alive. And in the Korean culture, I'm Korean, so to me, it's a big thing for us to hit the 100 days for our kids. And the reason it's a big thing is because a long time ago in Korea, childhood disease was very common. And the survival rate for children was very, very low. And so if a child were to make it to 100 days, then their chance of survival was really, really good. And so due to this, people now, they make the 100th day a special event. And they'll do things that make it a party. They'll have decorations, and they'll have special rice cakes, and they'll have a, a huge event where they invite friends and family to come. And on top of that, what they'll do is with the children, they'll dress them in these special Korean attires called hanboks. And it's a really big deal in the Korean culture. But here's the thing. We didn't do that. <laughs> my family and I, we just had my mom, my dad, and my brother over. And to celebrate the 100 days that our kids have been alive, my mom and dad decided to give our kids $100. And so here they are getting their gifts for being alive for 100 days. But here's the thing. You know, even though we didn't do that event, I'm looking forward to their one-year birthday. Because their one-year birthday is also a big event in Korean culture. There's an event that they do during their first birthday called Toljabi. And I, I'm sorry to all my Korean brothers and sisters if I butchered that, but Torzabi is this. It's basically where they get a bunch of stuff, and they grab a mat, and they lay it all out for the kid. And then the kid will go onto the mat, and he'll go to, he or she will go to the items, and they'll pick one. And in Korean tradition, it says whatever one that they pick, the first one or the second one, that might be who they become in the future. And so there's all sorts of random things that people will put out there. And a lot of times, the parents will deliberately choose some things that they hope the kids will get. Well, Darren and I, my wife, we were talking about having this event for their birthday. And Darren asked me a question. She said, what would you want the kids to pick? And honestly, at that time, I, I didn't care. I just thought it would be fun to do. But after reading through Mark 2, I think I have something that I hope they would choose. But we'll have to wait till their first birthday. But the thing is, I love stuff like this. I love stuff like the Torjabi because things like this where there are quizzes or assessments that kind of tell you who you are or who you're not or what you might be, they've always fascinated me. And that's why oftentimes on the internet when I see quizzes about your personality or different things like that, I often take them. And this has been going on for me for a long, long, long time. Even when I was a kid, see, back in the 90s, before there was the internet, you would find these types of assessments and quizzes in magazines. And so oftentimes, I would explore Cosmopolitan, Seventeen, Teen Vogue, YM, and I'm, why am I admitting to this to all of you guys? But it's because I just had such a great fascination about discovering these answers to the questions, who am I, who am I not, and what might I become? 
Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to continue to walk with Jesus through the book of Mark. Because we're in the midst of this series where we're spending 90 deliberate and intentional days with Jesus and learning more and more about him through the scriptures. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look back at a snapshot in Jesus' history and ministry. And as we do that, my hope is that we'll be able to look to answer some of the same questions that these assessments and tests usually do. But before we do that, what I want us to do is just go to the Holy Spirit and ask him for his help so that we could really discover these things through God's word. Let's begin our time in a word of prayer. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to discover more and more about Jesus. God, as we explore the book of Mark, would you help us understand more and more about who Christ is, who we are, who we're not, but also, God, show us, show us who we can be. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would challenge us, convict us, and change us. Thank you so much for this opportunity to learn from you. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 2? We're going to be looking through verses 1 through 12. If you guys have your apps or if you guys have your phones and you want to turn to the Bible app there, you can meet us there. If you don't have any of those things, you could always watch on the screens. We'll have the verses for you there as well. But as you're turning there, I want you guys to think about a couple questions as we read through Mark 2, 1 through 12 together. I have three questions that I like for you to chew on and think about as we're reading through the passage. The first question is this, who am I not in this story? Who am I not in this story? The second question is, who am I in this story? Who am I? And the third question is, who will I choose to be from this story? If I have a choice to be one of these characters, who will I choose to be from this story? Okay, with those questions in mind, let's dive into the word. We're going to start Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Let's read it together. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd... They removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that, that, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose. And immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Man, what a beautiful picture we see here of Jesus' power, his authority, his compassion, and his love. He's the main character here in this story, but there are a few other characters as well. 
And if we look, we'll see that, of course, there's Jesus as one of the characters, and there's four other, in total five, Jesus, the crowd, the paralytic, the helpers, and the religious leaders. And with those characters in mind, let's answer the first question today. Who am I not in this story? Who am I not in this story? Well, this will probably be no shock to any of you, because I can say without a shadow of doubt and with complete certainty that none of us are Jesus. And so if you want to write that down, you can write that down. I am not Jesus. Would you turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm not Jesus? Would you tell them they're not Jesus as well? I am not Jesus. We are not Jesus, but let's take a look at what we learn about Jesus through this passage and why we're not him. Remember I said I like to take quizzes and assessments? Well, can I do one with all of you real quick? Let me give you guys all a scenario. You're at home, and let's say you have a child at home, a baby as well, and you're home alone, and your baby starts to cry. And as your baby's crying, there's someone knocking on the door. And then as that is happening, the phone is starting to ring. And then you remember, oh no, you left the faucet running. There's water that's coming out. And then you look outside and realize, oh no, I have the laundry out there. It's drying and now it's raining. What would you choose to attend to first? See, this quiz is supposed to imply that whatever you choose first, it would reveal what's most important to you, what your priorities are. So how many of you guys chose the baby? How many of you chose the baby? That means family is most important to you. How many of you guys chose clothes? Clothes. That means romance and love is important to you. How many of you guys said, I'll turn off the water? That means money and wealth is most important to you. How many said the door? That's what I would do first. Nobody? <laughs> well, you guys don't care about friends or relatives. How many said answering the phone? It would imply that career and job is what's most important to you. Here's the thing. I honestly don't know how reliable and trustworthy this quiz is. But what I can tell you, that through the scriptures, which is trustworthy and reliable, we can see Christ's priorities. And what is his priorities? Here we see it's spiritual holiness before physical healing. It's spiritual holiness before physical healing. I mean, take a look. Mark 2.2 said, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Crowds had gathered to hear and probably be healed because of all that they heard about Jesus at this point. And yet what was Jesus doing first with this big crowd? Preaching the word. And we see the priority of Jesus show up more concretely when the paralytic is laid before him. Let's read again, Mark 2, 4 through 5. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. He, he didn't heal the physical condition of the paralytic first. He healed his spiritual condition. And this is because our spiritual conditions are our greatest needs. I love it how author Max Lucado put it. I'll put the quote up for you, but he, he said this. You know, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, 
God would have sent us economists. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior. We see from the beginning what Jesus' priorities are. It's our spiritual health. It's our holiness before anything else. Why? Because with our spiritual condition, our eternities lie in the balance. But here's the thing. Although Jesus first forgave the man's sins, Jesus demonstrated his power but also his care by healing the man's paralysis as well. See, this shows that Christ has such compassion and the capacity and the capability to heal and to attend to all of our needs and all of our struggles, even if they're not spiritual. But today, for this moment, I really want to just focus on his ability and authority to forgive sins because this truly demonstrates why we're not him. Because only God could forgive sins. The scribes, which were religious leaders, they knew this. They were experts in the Old Testament and the law. And they recognized what Jesus was trying to say when he said, I forgive, your sins are forgiven. I mean, take a look, Mark 2, verse 6 through 7. Now, some of the scribes are sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, they said Jesus was blaspheming, which means they were, that Jesus was speaking irreverently about God. And how was he speaking irreverently about God? Because he, he was basically saying he was God by saying he could do the things that only God can do, like forgiving sins. And this is likely why Jesus, he decided to also heal the physical distress of the paralytic. Because he knew the questions in the hearts of those scribes and religious leaders. And because the healing of sins isn't always obvious, isn't something that we can observe, isn't seen Immediately, he demonstrated his power and his authority by healing the man in an observable way, in a miraculous way, by taking away his paralysis immediately. See, how could Jesus be blaspheming and still have the power and authority to heal unless he wasn't blaspheming because he was God? That's who Jesus is and is claiming to be right here. Fully man as a son of man, but fully God with the authority to forgive sins as only God can. Jesus, as we learn here, can perceive hearts and thoughts. He can see our greatest needs, and Jesus can heal all that is broken because Jesus is God. And that's why we're not Jesus. So now we know who we're not in this story. That leads us to look at the next question to answer. So who am I? in this story. Well, let's take a look at the rest of the list. There's the crowd, the paralytic, the helpers, and the religious leaders. Well, as I look at this list, there's one that all of us, every single one of us are from this story. Do you know who it is? It's the paralytic. That's right. We write that down. Who am I in this story? I am the paralytic. And some of you guys might be sitting here thinking, wait, James, I'm not paralyzed. James, I'm healthy as an ox. I have no physical ailment. I could walk. I could run. I could jump. I could dance. You name it. I could run a marathon. Some of you guys are thinking, I'm young. I got my whole life ahead of me. Others of you are thinking, I'm rich. I'm successful. That I don't ever need help. If anything, I'm the one that's always helping others. Some of you guys are thinking, I'm anything but helpless or powerless like this paralytic. 
But can I remind you that Jesus dealt with the paralytic spiritual helplessness and the spiritual paralysis first? Because that is our greatest need. Because that was his greatest need, but it's also all of our needs as well. Because Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have fallen short. All. There is no exceptions. And because of this sin, we're all destined to be separated from God and destined to a spiritual death. Because take a look at what Romans 6.23 says. It says, because the wages of sin is death. Our spiritual condition is in shambles. And there's nothing that you and I can do to make it right on our own. Romans 5, 6 puts it this way. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We were powerless. And again, some of you guys are still questioning, powerless? James, do you know how how many good works that I do? Do you know how good of a person I am? I give so much food and money to the helpless and the homeless and the needy. I do so much good works, maybe even more than some pastors and some Christians. Aren't my good works powerful enough to make me right before God? Well, think about it like this. The next time that you get pulled over for speeding, although I'm sure none of you guys would ever get pulled over for speeding, right? Because you guys would never speed. But just imagine with me for a second. You're getting pulled over for speeding. The officer comes up to you and he's about to write you a ticket. And you tell the officer, well, officer, can I tell you about all the times that I didn't speed? Can I tell you about all the times that I didn't break the laws? Can I tell you about all the times that I drove so well and I even helped people while I'm driving? And tell the officer, man, this was the only time that I sped. And see if that will get you out of a ticket. It likely won't. And that same type of argument won't work with a perfect and holy God. Our good works and our good efforts won't do the trick. We're powerless until, what did Romans 5 say? Until Christ died for us. Jesus made a way, the only way to God, and to be made right before him. This has nothing to do with our works and what we bring to the table. And here's the thing. What's really cool about what we just read today in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, the events of Jesus healing the paralytic, it's the story of the gospel message. I mean, think about it this way. We're all spiritually paralyzed, powerless to make ourselves right, and we're unable to get to God on our own. And we're all spiritually broken and headed towards spiritual death until, until the faithful actions of Christ made a way for us to get to God when we couldn't on our own. But this is where we may start to differ a little bit from the paralytic here in this story. Because one thing that the paralytic had, he had faith. See, we don't know much about the paralytic and his condition and why he was paralyzed or how long he was paralyzed or how much this paral- uh, his paralysis affected his health and how close he might have been to death. But what we do know is that his sins were forgiven by Christ. And remember, God doesn't just forgive sins solely because of the faith of other people. It doesn't matter how much your friends, your family, your mom, your dad, your grandmother, your grandfather, anybody else has faith. Their faith is not enough to save you. If you look throughout the scriptures, we each all personally must have faith in Christ to receive his forgiveness. 
And some of you might be thinking, but no, it never said he had faith. Would you take a look again in Mark chapter 2, verse 5? It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Before, I used to think he was just looking at the four. But then when I thought about scriptures and I thought about how a person needs to receive forgiveness from God, God, I realized that this paralytic, he needed to have faith as well. See, whether we have faith or not, though, the truth is all of us are like this paralytic, paralyzed and in need of a savior. But if you don't have faith in Christ yet, I pray and I hope that you would seek Christ out and that you would place your faith in him because he is the savior you need. He's the only way to God. But for the rest of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we may be like this paralyzed man in this story, but maybe in different parts of the story. And what I mean is maybe some of you guys are the paralyzed man and you know you need to get to Jesus, but you can't get to him on your own. And so you're just sitting there waiting on your mat. While others of you may be the paralyzed man in the part of the story where you're being carried by others, by helpers, but you're running into obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, and you're wondering, will I ever get to Christ? While others of you might be the paralytic who is sitting before Christ now, laying there in your mat, and you're receiving the words of forgiveness, of mercy, of grace, of healing. While others of you are in a season where you have, been, you have experienced the healing touch of Jesus, and you are healed, and now you're hearing the call of Christ to get up, pick up your mat, and walk. The truth is we'll find ourselves as the paralytic at different points of the story all throughout our life because we'll never be perfect on this side of heaven and we'll continually struggle with our flesh and our sin. And I know that some of you, you are struggling with your hurts, your pains, your doubts, and other issues, and it's making you feel paralyzed and unable to move towards Christ on your own. Thankfully, we have many people who have chosen to be one of the characters from the story, which leads me to the third and final question that we're going to answer here today from today's passage. Who will I choose to be in this story? And really, this question is for those that have faith in Christ, the church. We know that we are not Jesus. We know that we're the paralytic. But as we look at the last three characters, I want you to see that we have a choice in who we will be. And who are the last three? It's the crowd, the religious leaders, and the helpers. I hope you wouldn't choose to be the crowd. Why do I say that? It's because in this story, they actually became a hindrance to Christ. What do I mean? Take a look, Mark 2, 3 through 4. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd. One of the biggest hindrances that the paralytic faced in order to get close to Jesus was the crowd. And this made me think of one of my biggest pet peeves. It's when there's people that don't want to move over. And what I mean by that is 
maybe there is a firefighter, there is police officers, there's paramedics or ambulances that are blasting their sirens, that have their lights on. There's a medical emergency or some sort of emergency where time is of the essence, but people are in their cars and they're lost in their own world and they don't see what's going on and they don't move over. But maybe some of them are just so caught up in their own destinations, in their own schedules, that not only are they not aware, they don't care how they might be in the way of others. Here's the thing. With the crowd, I don't think the crowd was trying to intentionally be a hindrance. But I I don't think they were trying to help either. Because think about it for a second. Do you think the crowd could have moved for the paralytic when the four men were bringing him to Christ when they arrived? I mean, knowing the determination of these four men, I'm sure they were yelling. I'm sure they were trying to tell people, hey, we need to get this, this, this man to Jesus. But no one moved. And some of you guys might be thinking, but James, it was crowded. There was no room to move. But think about this. The crowd, they did move. They did move for the paralytic when he got up. Mark 2, 11, 12 says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and he couldn't get out because of the crowd. No, and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. The crowd, they didn't move for the paralyzed man while he was on the mat being carried by four men. But they all moved when he rose up took his mat, and began to walk on his own. Church, I am so thankful that we have so many within our church that aren't like this crowd in this story. You know, just this past Christmas Eve, we had one of the biggest attended weekends that we have ever had in South Bay Community Church history. We had over 2,100 people come on a Sunday for our Christmas Eve services. At 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., we had over 750 adults here for each one of those services. And then we had 300 and 300 adults over that much in the rest of the services. And man, we're so thankful that so many of you came. And not only came, you brought friends. You brought family. And that's probably why 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. were so full because we know that it's probably the most ideal time to invite friends, family, and coworkers out. But I also know that there were a lot of you who were able to come to 9-11, but instead chose to go to 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. and purposely chose those services because you wanted to make room for those that were going to attend 9 and 11. And you knew that there were going to be people in our church bringing friends, bringing family, bringing coworkers. And you wanted to make room for them. You wanted to make room for first-time visitors. You wanted to make space for those that maybe they didn't have an option to go to 3 or 5. You wanted to make sure that they could come and be part of these services as well. And I've also seen so many within our church that go to our newest venue, The Well, because they see what's going on on Sundays. Our church is growing. And because it's it's possible for them, so many of you guys go to The Well and create more opportunities in our main campus for others to come and have a seat and create opportunities rather than creating hindrances for people to come to Christ. But here's the thing. If I'm honest with you, there have been moments, there have been times where I have chosen to be part of the crowd and unknowingly and unintentionally have become hindrances to people to get near Christ. 
One such time that I can think of was at a Harvest Crusade. If you don't know what Harvest Crusade on is, it's put on by Pastor Greg Laurie. This is by big, gigantic outreach. They usually hold it at Angel Stadium. They make it free and available to anyone and everyone. And one of the things that uh, Pastor Greg Laurie does is he invites Christian artists to come out to perform. He tells everyone that the gospel message will be shared. And so he's hoping and praying that many will come to bring those that don't know the gospel to come and hear it and be saved by Jesus. Well, one year I heard that Chris Tomlin was going to be there. If you don't know Chris Tomlin, he's a Christian artist and he was one of my favorite Christian artists at the time. And so I made sure I was going to be there when Chris Tomlin was going to be there. So what I did was I actually went early to Angel Stadium. I showed up even before they opened the gates. And when they opened the gates, you know what I did? I ran. I ran in and tried to find the best seats that I could and saved a bunch of them for me and all my Christian friends. Because the seating was first come, first serve. And it was packed. The stadium got full. And all the seats were taken. And all I could think initially was, wow, this is so awesome. But then I learned later that people came and they were turned away because it was full. And remember, this was a time before streaming. And so if you weren't in there, in the stadium, you missed all that was going on. In church, I was wrecked with conviction by that revelation. As much as I could enjoy this worship experience with Chris Tomlin, my favorite Christian artist, with all these people just worshiping God, I realized I was taking up a seat. And that meant that someone else who might have been bringing their friends, family members, coworkers to hear the gospel for the first time might have been turned away because there were no more seats available. My presence may have crowded out a person who needed Christ and their ultimate needs, their ultimate needs met And see, what I forgot was the main purpose of this event. The main purpose was to help people who didn't yet know Jesus to hear about him and get close to him. Not just for Christians to get with other Christians to worship alone. Now, that's not a bad thing. But then I realized that unintentionally, I might have created a hindrance for some people to come and hear the gospel. And due to this, I'm always trying to choose to be more aware, to not be a hinderer to Christ anymore. And I hope you would desire to do this, do the same. One other character that I hope you wouldn't choose is the religious leaders. We're told that there were scribes, and in other versions of this story, we're told that there were Pharisees and other religious leaders as well. And here's the thing about them. They were haters of Christ. They didn't come with openness to learn about Jesus or be changed. They came as skeptics. They came already critical and judgmental about Jesus. They were people that were experts within the, of the law, but they didn't live it out at all. And they didn't like Jesus because he would often call them out on this. They hated Jesus because oftentimes Jesus challenged their religion. And he was a threat to their power and their platform as religious leaders. And for them, they had an idea. They had an expectation of what the Messiah should be like. And Jesus did not conform to those views, ideas, or beliefs. And see, what we see here in Mark 2 is the first account of opposition beginning to rise towards Jesus, our King. And it began in their hearts. It began in their thoughts. And what do we see at the end of this whole encounter? Many left in awe and glorifying God. But these men, they left as haters 
They left angry and plotting against Christ as you see through the rest of Mark chapter 2 and into Mark 3 and through the rest of the gospel. They accused Jesus of blasphemy, which ultimately is what they charged Jesus of when they crucified him. For them, these religious leaders, they came and left as opponents to Christ and his message and his works. And I again unknowingly slipped into the role of hater of Christ's works. This was actually recently. It was actually this past Christmas Eve service. I know I said it was one of the biggest, and I will say it was one of the best services that we had. But at the time, in the moment, there was moments where I found myself being a hater. I was critiquing and I was complaining about the length of the services, the times, the seat arrangements, everything that was going on. Why? Because, church, honestly, I was in a very dark place in my faith. I was struggling. Because of that, there was a lot of resentment and bitterness and anger that was welling up inside of me. But thankfully, I had people in my life that chose to be characters that hope we would all choose to be from the story. I had helpers. I had people help me see I was being a hater and that I was not being in awe of God and appreciating all that God was doing that weekend. And today I hope that you will choose to be helpers as well. We put out the question to you, who will I choose to be in this story? I only want you to write this down if it is truly who you'll choose to be. If it is, then will you write down, I will choose to be helpers. I will choose to be helpers like the helpers that were in this story. Who were the helpers in this story? They were the ones that carried the paralytic. They did everything that they could to get the paralytic to Jesus. And I pray that you and I, we would choose to be just like them. Helpers who carry the mat of others and to do whatever it takes to get those that need Jesus to Jesus. Here's the thing. We can all be helpers because we can all help. And yet I know some of you guys are thinking, I can't help. I don't have much to offer. I don't know enough. I'm not that eloquent. I don't have any special gifts of evangelism. Well, can I ask you a few questions? Think about this for a second. The four helpers, can you tell me their names? Can you tell me their credentials? Can you tell me their occupations? Can you tell me how long that they have been believers or followers, what their gifts were? Can you even tell me how much they knew of the paralytic? or even how well they knew Jesus? We don't know the answer to those questions, but what we do know is that they did have something. They had faith, and their faith was part of the reason this man got to Jesus and was forgiven and healed. Their faith was real, and it led to action, like real faith should. James 2 puts it this way, verse 14 says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? And James 2, 26 says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. See, these four helpers, their faith wasn't just knowledge. They didn't just know what this person needed. It wasn't just strong feelings of compassion and pity. No, and it wasn't just good intentions of what they know they should do. It was actions. Their faith it was actions, and their actions were persistent. They could have stopped at any moment. They faced obstacle after obstacle, but they kept going. Their faith was bold. I mean, think about it for a second. How bold must it have been for them to get up on top of someone else's roof and decide, we're going to break a hole and open this roof up 
that's what they did. And their faith, it was creative. I mean, like we said, they saw obstacle after obstacle, and they came up with idea after idea of how they could keep moving the paralytic closer and closer to Christ. And this idea of creative faith, it actually made me think of one of our members here at our church, Mike Suhu. If you don't know Mike, uh, Mike, he, he's been part of our church for a long period of time, and he has these special gifts of teaching and of dance. And just this past week, he emailed us pastors, and he said, pastors, can I offer a beginner's salsa class for couples starting on Wednesday nights? Maybe we could start in February, February 21st to be exact. And we could hold it for six weeks in the faith center. And he explained to us what his thoughts and his purposes was in doing this. He said his intention, it was for him. It was for Christ. He said he would start all the classes with opening prayer, announcing service times, and leading people to the next steps table to learn more about our church. He also said he would emphasize that the main purpose of this dance class was not to learn dancing. That's secondary. The primary purpose was for people to connect and to expand Christ's kingdom. He told us why he wanted to do this. He said, honestly, he had been feeling lost in the sea of people that had become our church because our church had been growing and growing and growing. And rather than being part of the problem, he wanted to be part of the solution. And he remembered that God had given him gifts to teach, to dance, and he should use those gifts to benefit him. And so he decided, you know what, I want to help other people in our church who might feel like him, disconnected, get connected to other people, but also get connected to Christ. And he also said it was to create a non-intimidating way for non-Christians to be introduced to our church and ultimately be led to Christ. And so he's offering this salsa class for couples, for beginner couples. And so he said, if you have two left feet, that's that's who it's for. Maybe some of you guys in here know of a couple that will never come and sit here in church, but they might come out to a salsa class. And if they do, they might get to hear about Jesus. This was Mike's creative way to create opportunities to help people maybe get close to Christ. If this is something that might interest you, I hope that you would go to our website. There's more information there, and you can sign up there because it will be starting soon. And it'll be a cool opportunity for you, of course, to connect it with your own significant other, other couples within our church, but also maybe for you to invite another couple that maybe wouldn't come in to hear a service, but might come to dance and then ultimately find Jesus. Church, I hope and I pray that we would be helpers that act on our faith, that we'd be persistent, bold, and creative to get people close to Jesus because we have faith that believes that is who they truly need. Remember back in the fall, Pastor Greg led us through a series called Chasing After the Wind. And he defined the wind as helping those far from Christ find and follow Jesus. And he challenged us with a statement. Each one reach one, that we would all commit ourselves to reaching at least one person for Christ. How's that been going? Who is that person for you? And now months later, are you still trying to reach them? 
Would you choose to be like the four helpers and turn your faith into action and do whatever it takes to get that one to Jesus? And I know many of you have, because I've been meeting more and more people at our church that come up to us pastors and tell us, we came because our friends invited us. And that's amazing. We love that. But remember, there are more out there. So after you reach that one, go get another one. We should do this because our faith honestly, in comparison to the four helpers, is likely more informed than them. Think about it this way. Those men, they didn't know what we know about Jesus now. They didn't have thousands upon thousands of years of testimony after testimony declaring the truth of Christ and his power and his ability. We have the entirety of the scriptures. We know what Christ did. We have more. And so we, should be, we have even more reason to act and be persistent, bold, and creative to reach that one or, or another one or another one. Let's choose to be helpers because we have a faith that believes that we need to get people to Jesus because they're hurting, paralyzed, and in need of a Savior. And there's only one Savior, Jesus. A group did that for me and my wife, Darren, back in 2022. See, in 2022, my wife and I were diagnosed with unexplained infertility. After years of trying, we finally took some tests. And while nothing was definitive, we found out our test results on the day that we left for a mission trip. And we found out that there was maybe a factor, a male factor, that was contributing to our infertility. We didn't know what to do. We were devastated. We were just tempted to keep it to ourselves But we decided, hey, let's tell someone. And so we did. And the first group of people we told was this group right here. It was those that we were doing mission trip with. And here's the thing. We had never met most of these people ever before this day. These were people from all over the states. But the cool thing is one of them was an OBGYN. And another cool thing is some of them were nurses. And another thing was one of them had struggled through infertility as well. But do you know what was one of the first things they did for me and my wife when we told them about this situation? They prayed for us. They brought us straight to Christ. They didn't give us advice or just words of encouragement. They took us right to the one we needed most, Jesus. And through their prayers, they brought us close to him. And we were reminded that our greatest need wasn't having a baby. It was Jesus. And that he was more than enough. And it also reminded me that this was the greatest struggle and need of all people. And it truly changed the trajectory of the rest of the mission trip for me. Initially, I was more focused on the medical part of the missions. But after being brought to Christ, I was reminded of the Great Commission and how that was a greater need for all people, especially the people we were going to serve in the Philippines. And so I am very thankful that this group of people that we had never met before chose to help us get near Christ when we couldn't because of our diagnosis and disappointment. And church, I pray you would choose to be helpers as well. Remember earlier, I told you that at the beginning of the message, that after reading Mark chapter two, I knew what I would want for my kids to choose on their first birthday, that when we would have their first birthday and we would take all the stuff out before our kids, and put out the mat before them so that they could go and grab maybe a guitar so that they could be a musician when they grow up, or maybe 
a baker or a chef because they could cook great meals for their mom and dad, or maybe be, you know, K-pop or J-pop stars, or maybe, you know, take after their dad and become an amazing athlete. I don't know why you guys are laughing. Or maybe they would be in the medical field or a scholar or an artist, and they would choose one of these things. Well, again, after reading Mark 2, I thought, you know what? I know what I would want both Hudson and Harper to choose. If they were to choose anything right here, I pray, I hope, that one day they would choose the mat. They would choose the mat, that they would pick up the mat, that they would be like the paralytic who came before Jesus and because of his faith, their sins were forgiven and was healed. I pray that my kids would have their sins forgiven because of their faith in Jesus. And I pray that they would have so much faith that they wouldn't just pick up their mat, they would be helpers who pick up the mats of others because they believe in Jesus so much that they would do anything and everything to help others get to Jesus as well. I hope they would pick up the mat. And church, I hope and I pray that you would as well. Because church, we know who we are. And now we know who we could choose to be because we know who we're not. But we know Jesus. So let's do our best to go to Jesus and get everyone else that we can to him as well. Let's pray. While you guys have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I know that for many of you, you're at a different point of being this paralytic in this story. For some of you, you are paralyzed and you don't have faith in Christ yet, but you're hurting and you're seeking help. And after learning what you learned today about Jesus and what he has done for you and what he can do for you, today you want to acknowledge Christ as your king, as your savior, as your healer, and have your sins forgiven. I would love for you in this moment from your heart to his to pray. Basically just talk to God in faith and ask him to heal you. Ask him to forgive you. And then tell him that you place your hope, your faith, and your life in his hands and acknowledge Christ as your savior. But I know for others of you, you're in the part of the story as a paralytic where you just need help to get to Jesus because you, can't just, you just can't seem to get there on your own. Will you, if that's you, will you pray and ask God for friends and helpers that believe so much in Christ that they would help pick up your mat and move you closer to him? Would you pray for those types of helpers to come alongside of you? And finally, there are some of you who have experienced Christ's loving and healing touch, and you are in a season where you don't feel paralyzed anymore. If that's you, will you pray for more faith, that you would become helpers that act out with faith that is persistent, creative, and bold, 
that you would reach one and another one and another one. That you would be someone that would be willing to pick up the mat for others and ask God to grow your faith, a faith that will lead you to action to do whatever it takes to get another to Jesus. Whatever scenario in, would you pray? If, again, if you're one without faith, pray for more faith. Pray, for, pray and put your faith in Christ. If you're one that has faith but you're struggling to get near Jesus, pray for others that have more faith to maybe come alongside of you and help pick up your mat. And for the rest of us, pray for more faith to become like the helpers who pick up the mat of others. Would you take a minute to do that now? God, we all come before you acknowledging that we are like the paralytic. We are helpless and powerless on our own to be made right. But we're so thankful that Jesus made a way for us to be healed and forgiven and to be made whole. God, I pray for those that don't have faith yet, that today maybe they were convicted, maybe they heard the good news of the gospel and they have decided to put their faith in you. God, we rejoice with them that have chosen to do that. God, but we also pray for those that are paralyzed and they can't get to you on their own. We pray for friends and helpers that will come alongside of them, carry their mat and get them close to Jesus. And then finally, God, we pray for those that can move, those that do have faith, those that are in a season of health, that we would be people who would see the needs of others and begin to pick up their mat and help get them to Christ because we have a faith that is bold, that is creative, that is persistent, that believes that you are truly what they need. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us being our Savior, for forgiving us, and for healing us. Please begin to do that for us again now. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.